Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John. We'll read chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. Let's read God's good word together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What does your perfect Christmas look like? If you could make every detail the way that you want it to be, what would that be like? Would it be about the decorations, making sure that every single thing was in place? Would it be about the gifts, making sure that everyone got exactly what they want? You knew exactly what would make them so happy that they would um, just shout with joy and sing your praises because you got them the perfect gift. Would it be exactly the meal that only Norman Rockwell wishes that he could paint where everyone is happy and everything comes out at exactly the same time and nothing is cold and everyone is on time and nobody says a single thing that is offensive or hurtful? Wouldn't it be nice if we could actually have a perfect Christmas? It doesn't ever work like that, does it, though? Inevitably, there's something, your, your treasured Christmas ornament gets dropped and then stepped on just to add insult to injury. Whenever you get the gift that you know is perfect, you see the recipient open it and then give you the kind of fake smile and thank you so much, I really love it. And you know they did not really love it. Or that perfect meal has the turkey that burns and just when everything is coming out and onto the table and it's time to sit down, somebody calls and actually they're still an hour away and you've got to decide whether you're going to eat without them or not. Our Christmas is rarely, if ever, well, if we're really honest, they are never perfect. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about a different kind of Christmas this year, and we know that this Christmas is going to be different than any other Christmas that we've had. And even in normal years, Christmas can be difficult, and yet whenever we experience it differently, whenever we open our hearts to Jesus and all that he brings, it can change everything. And so that's our hope for you, that you can experience Christmas differently, that it won't be all about the gifts or even the meal or any of those things, but that he might transform your Christmas. And so last week, Pastor Mark started us off by talking about hope. And he reminded us that at Christmas, our hope is in Jesus. That it's not in all the things that we can buy. It's not in um, how much we eat or any of those things, all the getting the perfect meal ready for our family. It's also not about all the details that we try to control. It's only in Jesus. He gives us hope and we are able to live differently as a result of that because of the hope that he gives And this week we're talking about giving up on perfect because we know that no matter how hard we try, things never seem to align perfectly. We can never get things to go just the way that we want. You know, somebody is running late. Somebody says something that's awful. Even whenever we're just trying to get into the car, everyone's in jammies and we just want to drive around for 30 minutes to look at Christmas lights. Somehow the kids are fighting before they've even made it into the car. Things never quite go the way that we want them to. And whenever we set our hearts on perfection, 
we inevitably are bound to be disappointed because we have our expectations so worked up on things being just exactly the way we want them to on every detail aligning and and we know that's never going to happen and yet we try anyway but whenever it doesn't we're crushed we're disappointed and we're not able to enjoy the things that are and so we have to learn this one thing that we're going to talk about today. And I think this is so important. I, I really want to make sure that you don't miss this. When we give up on perfect, we can invite Jesus to meet us right where we are. Whenever we let go of all the things being the exact way that we want them, and we can just accept things as they are and, and welcome whatever God brings into our midst, then we can experience freedom from having things have to be perfect. We can experience joy in unexpected places, and we can allow Christ's light to shine even into the darkest places of our lives, into our sorrow, into our pain, into our grief. But we have to let go of perfection for that to happen. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And one of the things that we find is the first Christmas was actually not perfect. We sometimes picture it that way whenever we um, look at our nativity scenes and paintings that we see, but, but it was not perfect. There were a lot of things that were not desirable. And so uh, one of the things that we find is our depictions of the first Christmas are often sanitized. Uh, we, we put a nice gloss on everything and make them seem much nicer than they really would have been. And you can look at this painting of, of a nativity that I found, and, and you can see there, there is light shining upon the Holy Family. Jesus is newborn, but also has a lovely head of hair um, that looks like he's at least three. Mary Mary apparently gave birth without even breaking a sweat. She had a makeup artist waiting around the corner, and whenever she snapped her fingers, that, that person swept in and got her ready to look beautiful for, um, for all of the shepherds who were coming to visit her. And then you've got a shepherd who is even playing a flute. I don't know about you, but any time I heard a noise whenever my child was first born, my only thought was, if you wake up my child, I'm going too. Because we know that, that this isn't what new birth looks like. I mean, uh, Mary would probably not be sitting up just enjoying having an audience there. She probably would have been exhausted. Um, and, and I don't know what Joseph is thinking, but if there were livestock in the room where my child was, they would at least be against the walls. By the way, do you know what it smells like where livestock are? It smells like poop. Not a good smell around your newborn baby. And so while this looks nice, and not to take anything away from the artist, because there are things that, are, that we want to communicate through art beyond just a really um, historical accuracy um, and realism, but, but we see pictures like this and we think of this as like something that happens in, in a world that, that we can't even imagine, that looks nothing like a regular experience. But what we know is that giving birth in any century, but particularly in the first century, was a dangerous experience. It was one that was fraught with danger, and, um, and Mary's life was at risk the, with the medical technology of the time. Also, a very painful experience. And did you know that in the first century, they did not have epidurals? I know that's probably very surprising to you, but, but she was on her own as far as pain control went. It, it was a difficult experience. And so this is what the scripture tells us about when Jesus was born. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. Now, do you know what a manger is? That's one of those words that most of us only use at Christmas time. It, it's a feeding trough. It's what animals eat out of. She laid him in a manger because there was no place for them 
in the inn. And so where were they whenever she gave birth? They were in a stable, in a place where animals lived, and and the thing that they ate out of was what she had to put her child in. And so she was away from her family. There was a census, and Joseph and his family had to go to Bethlehem um, because that's where he, he was from as an ancestor of David. And so she had to go away from Nazareth and her family. And, and in this, this dangerous, scary situation, she had to give birth in a stable where animals lived that probably smelled bad. And her first visitors were shepherds. And so we know that this was not the ideal Christmas, probably from her perspective. If you go to Bethlehem today, you can visit the Church of the Nativity. Um, It's a beautiful church, and uh, I had the privilege of going a few years ago, but couldn't find my pictures, so somebody else gave me these lovely pictures. And uh, if you go inside, you can actually, you go inside the church itself, but then you can actually go down steps and into a cave. You can see the, the stone ceiling there, and so the place that the Christian tradition tells us where Jesus was born was actually in a cave. Now, in that culture, a lot of folks, if, um, if they had animals, they would build their houses up against um, hillsides where there were caves because, you know, you basically get a free extra room um, if you can build against the cave. And so you have good insulation. It's a good place for um, animals to be born, but, um, you know, probably not the, the favored place of having a baby. And, uh, and just to contrast that, whenever my daughter was born five years ago, she was born at, at Lakeside Women's Hospital. Do you know that place is amazing? They have wooden floors in the delivery rooms. Now, Mary had a dirt floor, most likely, or maybe a rock floor in the cave. And, and so there's just such an amazing contrast. It, it feels really weird to say that my daughter had a nicer birth room than the Messiah. But, but it's true. And, and so we had, he was born into just this really difficult circumstance. And not only that, but in, in some of our hymns, in, in Away in a Manger, you know, one of the, the lines that we sing is, The little Lord Jesus, know what? No crying he makes. Well, that's a lovely sentiment and something that all parents of newborns aspire to. But Jesus was a human baby, Babies cry. Jesus cried whenever he was a baby. There were probably times whenever he got colicky and he would not stop crying no matter what Mary did. And she was probably ready to pull her hair out. The same thing that all new parents experience. Because the first Christmas was far from perfect. And yet that was the way that God chose to come into the world. Not, not in a big palace, not waiting a few centuries until there was better pain control and hospitals and those kinds of things, but into that difficult situation of, of this family who was far from home and who had to rely on relatives or just a kind stranger and who was born in such humble circumstance. And yet that's the way that God came into the world, far from a perfect, at least in the way that we define it, way. And he came from heaven into our darkness, into the place where we live. Jesus didn't come into some idealized world where everybody has everything together and they don't have any problems because they're so well off and and take care of everything as soon as it arises. He didn't come in some perfect world. He came into the messiness of our world with its sorrows, with its pain, with all of its troubles with everything that we struggle with and suffer from. 
And so this is what John says in his gospel. He doesn't have a a nativity story in the way that we see in Matthew and Luke, but he does tell us about the origins of how Jesus came into the world, how the Son of God came from heaven to earth. And so this is what he says um, in 114. He says, And the Word, Jesus the Word, became flesh and lived among us among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. I think the most important word that's in this is the word us. Not among people who have it all together. Not among people who don't have any problems. Not among people who are suitably religious and pray at prescribed times and go to church every Sunday and on Easter and on Christmas or worship online whenever they can't. He came to us, to the people who struggle, who suffer, who desperately need him. Because I know that in my family, we don't have everything together. We don't have everything perfect. We make mistakes. We say things that hurt each other. We've got issues. We've got history. We've got problems, and we have struggles. And we're exactly the kind of people that Jesus came and lived among. And so are you. He came and lived among us. And so he knows our sufferings because he lived them. Because he experienced the same things that we experienced. Pain and sorrow and even death. And even the circumstances immediately following his birth, just in the the first few years. This is what uh, Matthew tells us. Now after the, the Magi, the wise men, had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. And so already very early in his life, Jesus becomes a refugee, fleeing for his life with his family. He was a refugee in Egypt, fleeing a murderous tyrant. This wasn't a birth into some kind of charmed existence. He was on the run very early in his life, and he knows our sufferings. And so whenever things are going hard for you, whenever things aren't going well, whenever they're difficult, whenever you're really struggling just to put one foot in front of the other, remember that Jesus isn't just up there looking down on you and wondering why you aren't doing better. He knows your struggles because he has lived them as well. And so you don't have to put a show on of having everything together because that's not the world that Jesus was born into. That's not why he came. He didn't come to people who were all in the light all the time, who had it all together, but to people who needed him. This is what the prophet Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Have you ever played with a flashlight? You know, if you play with a flashlight during the day, can you tell very much difference? It doesn't do a whole lot if you go outside and turn your flashlight on. Maybe if you get up against a wall, you can see it, but otherwise it's just, uh, it makes a trivial difference compared to the light that's already out there. But if you're in the dark and you turn on the light, it makes a big difference. Jesus came as a light not to people who are already full of light, but to people who are in the dark, who needed a light, who needed him. And he came to heal them and to save them. Jesus meets us and heals us in our darkness and our sin and our pain. Not where we want to be, not where we think we should be, not where we feel guilty and shamed for not being, but right where 
we are, right where we really are. And this is what John says. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus came as a light into our world and shines. And no matter how great the darkness you're going through, no matter how great the darkness that seems to surround us, whatever our world is going through with a pandemic, with a divided culture, and every other thing that's going on, no darkness can overcome it. And whenever we open our messy, imperfect lives to him, he can shine his light into our lives and illuminate them and allow us to experience a light unlike anything else that we've experienced. And so whenever we long for for things to be perfect, even if just for a season around Christmas, those things aren't perfect. And Jesus' coming doesn't make them all perfect. But it does... His coming does make his light to shine into all the imperfect places, into all the places that are dark, into all the places that we need him. And so I hope today that you will let go of perfect, that you will recognize that that's not something that that we can attain, and instead that you will invite Jesus in. Allow him to shine his light into all the dark places of your life and illuminate it. Here are a few ways that I want to invite you to do that. These are our action steps for this week. First, I want to invite you to accept that your Christmas will be imperfect. I mean, we all know that, right? I mean, all of us knows that something is going to go wrong. Uh, something isn't going to turn out right. Some gift is going to show up on December 27th. Something's going to burn. None of those things are, are going to go exactly the way we want them to. And yet sometimes we hold on to them so tightly and try our best to, to will them into place. So I invite you just to accept it. There are going to be circumstances beyond your control that, that just don't turn out the way that you want them to. There are going to be circumstances that are within your control that you just made a mistake or didn't think and it didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. And that's okay. Jesus didn't come into a perfect world. He came into an imperfect one. Your Christmas will be imperfect and Jesus will still show up. This is what Brene Brown says about perfectionism. She says it's a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Whenever we hold on to perfectionism, whenever we try to get everything to be perfect, we're trying to hold on to, to, to something that, that will mask the insecurities that we feel, our pain, our, our suffering, our struggles. And if we just let go of that, it, it feels vulnerable, it feels difficult, and yet that's when Christ's light can shine in. And then as you let go of perfectionism, I also invite you to acknowledge losses and to grieve them. Just to recognize that, that this year in particular, but, but every year, we all suffer loss. There are things that aren't the same, that there are people who are not there that we miss, and and we need to grieve those. We don't just pretend like it doesn't bother us and pretend like we should be over it by now and try to make that happen. We actually acknowledge those and grieve those. You know, five years ago, just two months before my daughter was born, my dad died. She never got to meet her grandpa. And every year, particularly at Christmas, I, I, I miss him. And, and I wish that she could have the opportunity to know him, to, to see the things that he would buy for her and the fun that they would have together. And, and I don't get that. And she doesn't either. And that's a genuine loss. And so I don't just pretend like that's not the way it is, that, that I wish that that was different. I acknowledge it, and I grieve it. 
And as we acknowledge and grieve our losses, then we look for Jesus' light shining in the darkness. Things won't be perfect. They won't be exactly the way we want them to be, but Jesus' light is still shining. And so look for that light. Look for the ways that you can experience that. Look for Jesus' light shining in the darkness. I know that, that even though I wish that my dad was with us to celebrate, I can still look at, at the things that we did together. I can remember those things. And I can tell them to my daughter. I can share those stories. And I can look at the things that she does that remind me of him and how he would have laughed to watch her with all of her crazy antics. My daughter has some character. And, uh, and I love it. It's wonderful. My dad would have thought it was hilarious. But even though there's sorrow and there's loss, I can still see Christ's light shining in her, even as I miss my dad. And then I invite you to give to the Christmas Eve offering, to be a part of what Jesus was doing. He came into our broken world to heal it, to bring healing and salvation to all the world. And so we partner with him at Christmas time. Each year we take up an offering at Christmas Eve and every dollar goes outside our doors to serve God's mission in the world. And so sometimes it stops next door. Um, we have um, done things with Frontier Elementary to try to help teachers and to bless them, to let them know that we're with them and that they're supported in this crazy time that they're teaching in. And it's gone all the way to Guatemala and even beyond as we've put in water wells to help make sure that people have clean water to drink so that we can save lives of children who might have otherwise died of waterborne illness. And you can be a part of that. And it won't be perfect. It won't heal everything. You're not going to make your Christmas perfect because you gave some money, but you can be a part of Christ's light shining in the world, illuminating the lives of people who might have otherwise been in the darkness. Because that's what Jesus does at Christmas. That's what he did whenever he came. He illuminates our lives. He illuminates the world and invites us to shine his light. We pray with me. God, we thank you that you are the light of the world, that you illuminate every dark corner of our lives, every terrible situation in our world, and that you invite us to be part of it. You allow us to shine your light. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to let go of the need for perfection, that you would help us to accept an imperfect Christmas so that we can be a part of the kind of Christmas that you desire. We thank you for Jesus, for his example, for his love, and that he came and lived among us and suffered as we suffer. And as he taught us, so we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.